You're listening to the KB Podcast Network. <laughs> hey guys, before we get started on the podcast, I wanted to make a quick announcement for Michael McIntyre's new ebook called Tough Times Don't Last, But Tough People Do. This resource is being made available for free, and it's meant to be an encouragement for these times that we're all going through. Here's your chance to refocus, repurpose, and retool yourself to prosper for these times and beyond. Please go visit themichaelmcintyre.com, click the eBooks tab, and get yours absolutely free. This is the Next Level Podcast, a place for business leaders, entrepreneurs, and dreamers to be empowered for an abundant kingdom life. Here's your host, Michael McIntyre. Well, good afternoon, good morning, good day, or good evening. This is Michael McIntyre, your humble host for the Next Level Podcast. And man, oh man, have we got a powerful couple on the phone now for this interview. I mean, these two are not only bold, but they're beautiful, they're talented, they are all about Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Heavenly Father. They have amazing children, and yes, they're just super human. <laughs> That's right. So how's that for an introduction to Michael and Meredith Malden? Hey, guys. <laughs> Pretty amazing. I don't know who you just talked about, but Michael and Meredith are here, too. <laughs> Listen, you guys, you guys are so cool. You know, I, I remember, you know, uh, Stacey and I, you know, we kind of showed up at Upper Room back in 2012. And, and I think you guys were there, like, I don't know, maybe a month before we were, you got signed on for uh, uh, music or something. I can't remember what it was, but I remember seeing you guys. And then, then when you got up there and cause you guys, you know, amazingly attractive couple. And then, and then I remember when, when, when you, when you got up there, Michael, and you were preaching, you were talking about your career and, and what you did in modeling. Stacy looked over at me. Yep. Yep. I knew it. I knew it. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> but, but it was really cool it, because the walk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's got that, he's got that stride. That's but what right. was really, what was really cool is hearing your testimony about how you gave your life to Jesus and how, you and Meredith just were like pouring all in and pouring all out and, and your whole journey and your sacrifice. And, you know, it just, it was just incredible. So I, so we immediately, Stacey and I were immediately attracted to you guys and just watched you guys grow and uh, your whole, you know, family and literally grow your family. And um, (laughs) so, you you know, and then your music career, you guys are amazing, you know? And so I want our audience to hear, you know, because I know a lot about you all and I know, some of, you know, some of our audience already knows about you, but I want, I want to kind of talk about, you know, your journey and where you are now, because, you know, Michael, I know you've had an incredible career. You did international modeling, you did commercials, you did some acting, and I think you guys met at an acting class. Is that right? Well, we met actually at a, it was an acting job. Um, okay. Not one of the, not one of the most high-end jobs, but it was a, <laughs> it was an industrial film for Radio Shack. So Radio Shack was a big company back in the day, and you know they had thousands of stores, and so they had to do training videos for their employees. And so yeah, we that was that was really that was sexy, wasn't it? 
Oh, great oh. time, sexy work. <laughs> you know, but you kind of, it was great because you kind of just sit around all day and then just spit out a couple lines and then go sit down and then get paid. <laughs> Come on, man. I like that. <laughs> no, and so I, it was a season in my life where I had, I had literally kind of dropped off, laid down on my dreams to go become a caretaker for my dad who got cancer and yeah. tongue cancer. Yeah. And, and through his, once he started to get healed, um, the first job I booked in Dallas was this Radio Shack industrial film. And I hadn't dated anybody in like a year and a half. My dad thought something was wrong with me, you know. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and I walked in and my eyes connected with this girl. And I just felt something just like this wave hit me. And the thought goes, you're going to date her. And it was funny because wow. I had said, told myself I'm done dating because I had just felt so much, been through so much pain through the dating process. Right. And about a month, about a month prior, I had written out a list of like all that I wanted in a girl uh, for marriage. And, and I wrote this list out and I just, and then I, but I, I literally folded it up and like laid it at the cross and go, God, this is what I want. But nevertheless, not my will, thy will be done. You know what's best for me, but this is what I want. I just let go of it. And then wow. within a month, I met Meredith, and she hit everything on that list, and then about a hundredfold beyond that of what I didn't know was possible in a girl. <laughs> awesome. But I did ask for a brunette, but. He <laughs> <laughs> got one, one. one thing I didn't get. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> yeah. But I like blonde better now. Amen. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you have any room to complain, bro. None. <laughs> so, so you guys start, you guys, you know, start dating and you guys get married and how did you guys end up at Upper Room back in, back in the day? I know Meredith, you're from Dallas. Yes. Originally from Dallas, kind of born and raised Fort Worth, Dallas area. So, um, my family was here. Yeah. Right. We, we, had, we had met Michael and Larissa Miller back in like 2005, 2006. Yeah. Okay. And he was a singles pastor of that Church of Christ Church, and the Holy Spirit fell, and they really experienced an outpouring of God. And we were with them, kind of started doing a Bible study in their apartment, praying about uh, an upper room, a fully furnished upper room in the city. And then mm. right around that time that he got that word that, you know, that he felt like God was leading him to a fully furnished upper room, we got, my wife and I got called down to Houston. And I said, had said those famous last words at some point in my life. I said, I'll never move back to Houston. Never. And so I ended up in Houston. Come on. And, and so uh, we started this Bible study in my mom's house, inviting a bunch of people that would never step foot in the church. And my mother and stepfather weren't even believers at the time, but we were doing a Bible study in their home. Yeah. Wow, and, that's crazy. And, and God started showing up. They got radically saved, got friends, got saved. And, but because I forced my parents to come to my Bible study, they started forcing me to come to their political functions. And, <laughs> and during that time, I, I met some guys that were running for state rep and Congress. And they said, look, your district where you live overlaps the district where we're, where we're running. The senator in your district is running unopposed. Nobody should run unopposed. He's run unopposed for 20 years. Will you mm -hmm. run with us? And, you know, and I was like, looked at Meredith, and I was like, I think I'm supposed to do this. She's like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds familiar. Like 100, yes, yes, it does. Yes, it does. <laughs> and, and so we started wrestling through this process down there, and, and I just felt like I was supposed to get on the ballot. It was the night before the deadline to get on the ballot, and I said, Meredith, I'm wow. supposed to do this. I feel like it. And she goes, 
look, I need a lightning bolt. I need a sign from heaven that we're supposed to do this. And because this is going to be hard. She was the last thing is I don't want to pay for it. I don't want us to pay for our own money to get on the ballot. It was like 1200 bucks to get on the ballot. We didn't have much money. Right. I mean, we had just moved to Houston and sure. just started, just started the financial service practice, just pouring into all these people's lives. We were pregnant with our first kid. <laughs> and yeah. that night we went out to dinner with a lady and she goes, you know what? I just feel like I'm supposed to bless you guys for all that you're doing in Houston. And she writes a check and, <laughs> Pushes it across the table for fifteen hundred bucks, Come and I looked on. at Mary, and I looked at Mary. Oh, and I was like, "There's your fleece, Mary. We're good. We're Austin on Monday. Lightning bolt strikes. It's it strikes. Did. So we drove down to Austin, got on the ballot, and you know, found out that day that they were building the world's second largest abortion clinic in our district. And I literally just dropped to my knees and I began to just weep and and realized that God was leading me to run for a different reason. All, the whole season really became about life and found out that my mother had gone to an abortion clinic to have me aborted. Mm. And, but the doctor said, I don't see it in your eyes. I want you to go think about it. And so the, there was a voice advocating for my life while I was in the womb. And so I just, I just turned the whole campaign to, to life. And obviously I didn't end up winning because the district was drawn for the guy that I ran against. And sure. Uh, but, it was just this tremendous season of our lives, but it also wore us out, you know, wore me into the ground. You know, <laughs> discipling people in my home, running a financial service practice that I was building, and then running a political campaign. And yep. we had two kids that year and moved three times that year. Wow. So That's crazy. It. Uh, it was nuts. And so I, like, collapsed to the ground and said, I quit everything. <laughs> <laughs> And we just began to see God. We felt called to come back to Dallas, and because Michael Miller and Larissa had just started the Upper Room about a year prior, and we just wow. felt a calling to come back to. We wanted to raise our kids around an environment where the presence of God was, where people were really going after God. Yeah. And and so we, you know, we decided to move back to Dallas. And it, it, this is a real quick kind of a cool God story of how He provides. My wife was just she kept going. I feel like we're supposed to buy a house. I go, Mayor, I just quit my job. You can't get a, a loan if you don't have a job. <laughs> this is America, though, baby. <laughs> I know. And she's, like, she's like, I know. I just feel like we're supposed to buy a house. You know, and she's just like Pollyanna and like online looking at house, looking at houses to buy. And I'm thinking she's delusional and I'm looking for houses to rent and houses to rent. <laughs> and so we, we, we stumble, I stumble across, go to Dallas, stumble across a house that said uh, for sale. By, no, it said uh, owner financing. So I was like, owner financing? I called the guy up, and it was real close to the upper room. We wanted to live close to the upper room. And I said, hey, I can put down like two months mortgage up front. I'm going to get a job when I get to Dallas. Can you work with me? He goes, no. We had put our house on the market in Houston, and it sold in 12 days. So we had 30 days to get out of our house, and, and, wow. and we had nowhere to go. And so I had no peace about anything. We, literally, there's 12 days left in this process. We still had no apartments to, look, you know, that no applications on homes or houses. Nothing was just working out. And I get this phone call from that realtor. He goes, "Hey, I talked to my uh, the owners of the, of the property, the investors. They said if you can put a year's mortgage down up front plus 20 percent, you can have the place." And I was like, "Man, that's a ton of money. I don't, I don't have that." But in my head, I'm like, "I've got them talking. Maybe I can negotiate." So I said, "I'll call you back." And a little while after that, Meredith had just checked her email, and there was this couple uh, with nine orphan kids in Louisiana, every color kid under the sun, beautiful family. They, mm. they sent an email to Meredith, and they said, Holy Spirit told us to send you guys some money. Check your PayPal account. 
We're like going, send us some money. You got nine orphan kids. You should be sending your money. <laughs> yeah. What Come in on. the world? So we look in the oh account. Oh my gosh. We look in the account. There was five grand in there. And I was like, no way. Yeah, I was like, what are they doing? And so I, I looked at the numbers of the house that I was looking at up in Dallas, and I called my buddy Jack Smith, who was a mortgage guy, and I said, hey, if we get, the house, this yeah. Price, yeah, if we yeah. get the house at this price, what can you do? He's like, I'll cut out all my closing costs. All you'll have to come to the table with is 4500 bucks." Wow. So I, I ended up calling him up. I got my dad to co-sign on it with us, but this family ended up paying, paying for the down payment of our house. We had 500 bucks to tithe with. And come on, Jesus! House in Dallas, and over the over the course of us seven years being there, the house more than doubled in value. So, and so it's this cool God providing a way for us to get to Dallas in a really supernatural way. So long, story you know, it's, here, long yeah, no, it's question. beautiful. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's awesome. And I, and I, you know, what it reminds me is, you know, God answers our prayers. You know, it might not be exactly the way we want it, right? But He does yeah. answer them. And, uh, and he does provide, you know, the biggest thing we forget, I mean, you know, and I'm preaching to myself here is how we forget, right? We forget how yeah. he does provide for us, you know, uh, yeah. and it's so easy. I mean, it's just like, it's just like, you know, it's just like when the guys were in the boat, you know, with Jesus, you know, and the storm came up, you know, and they freak out, you know, and they forget yeah. they're, they're sitting there in the boat with the son of man. Right. And, yeah. and they, they forget, they just watch this guy, you know, heal people and, you know, grow limbs and, you know, stop a woman from bleeding for 12 years, raise somebody from the dead and they're freaking out. And he's like, you have little faith. And isn't that, you know, and what I love about your story is that you guys were just in the faith and just doing it. And, and God showed up in the most peculiar ways. It's kind of like when he said, hey, Peter, we got to pay our taxes. Go down there, grab that fish, and open up his belt. <laughs> There's yeah, tax money well, in but, there. <laughs> but, but, here's, but here's the thing. You know, we had 12 days left, and we had nowhere to go with our house in Houston. We were freaking I out. Know. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> we look, were freaking I mean, out. Oh, my gosh. I just can't even imagine. And so, you know, how many of us have been really desperate at the corner at the brink of, you know, of, of you know, this and, and that and, and which way do we go, Lord? And all of a sudden, yeah. boom, he'll open up. So, you know, we worship a God of suddenlies, right? Suddenly, su- suddenly, you know, suddenly the water, you know, parts, right? Suddenly, yeah. you know, manna comes in. Suddenly, you know, 12 billion pigeons fly in and feed it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. Yes. Come on, man. I love that, man. Man, you got, you know, I, the, this this whole thing's a made-for-movie uh, deal. You know, it's it made-for-television yeah. movie. So I just love it. Well, All right, you, so go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, was just, I was just saying there's a process before the suddenly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it's that, yeah. it's that long process to wrestle, the faith, ah, you know. Man. Yep. That's what separates the wheat from the chaff, baby. (laughs) But I will say that having those moments and those testimonies to go back to has made the new steps of faith so much easier. I feel like there's so much more rest and peace because I'm like, he's done it every time. So now that we're in situations and the, and the, you know, when the anxieties try to come up and go, how how is he going to do it this time? I just, I feel like there's because of the history we've had with God, and being able to tell yeah. those testimonies and share those testimonies and even tell them to each other again when we go through yeah. times, we literally will go, remember when he did that? Do you remember when yeah. he did this? Yeah. And it's like, and then it helps you walk and you have faith for that next season when he does a new thing. 
So come on, Mary, that's so good. You know, it sounds like it sounds like Stacy and I's conversations on a weekly basis. You know, uh, <laughs> it, it's so true. It's so true, and you know that's why it's so important to have community. Yeah, yeah, and you yeah. know, and 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 have people to come in. You know, because look, things are not always as they seem, as we all know. You know, yes, and yeah. you know we. You guys being in, in, in the entertainment business and, you know, uh, you know, you guys know better than anybody, uh, things are not always as they seem. And so, you know, cause, cause we all put on our masks, we do. And, uh, you know, social media, you know, is, you know, is good and it's also evil, you know? And so, and just like anything else. And so you yeah. just, you know, a lot of people get into that, that big, huge comparison spirit. I know our friend, uh, Freeland always talks about, you know, that he's got one of those amazing sermons about comparison, about how brothers through the whole Bible and stuff, uh, you know, constantly were in, you know, competing and in comparison. And, you know, it's such a, it's such an enemy's one of his favorite cards to play. All right. So I, w- I want to talk, Meredith, I want to talk a little bit about you. Yeah. And because one of the things that Stacy and I remember in the early days was you getting up there and just worshiping like, just like it was just you and Jesus in the room. Oh. And what, what, what I loved is how you would just, first of all, your voice is, is just freaking amazing. It's a beautiful uh-huh. voice. God has blessed you with that and your talent and everything. But you're, when, when you sing and, and I didn't understand what vertical worship was. I mean, you know, listen, I was a baby Christian at the time and I, <laughs> you know, and I, you know, I just wanted something that made me feel good. You know, I didn't realize, you know, Freeland really taught me a lot about, Hey, you know, worship's for God, the sermon's for you. And it was kind of like one of those paradigm shifting moments. And immediately I thought, oh, McIntyre, you're an idiot. That's what that made. That's why they call it worship, you know? And so, uh, <laughs> but, that's great. But the, but the way you worship and the way you love Jesus, it's just, it's just, uh, it's mesmerizing. It's, it's, it's Holy Spirit. It opens. It's like, everybody in the room gets to be an intercessor with you. And uh, so tell us, I mean, your voice is great. I know you've, you know, you've got songs out, you've been published, you've started labels, you've done amazing stuff. Tell us, tell us how you got into that and, and where, where you're going with that. Cause I know you got this amazing songwriters lab and I want to talk about that too. Yeah. You know, I mean, it wasn't always that, like when I um, first started actually when Michael and I were, um, when we met together, like I was singing with the 16 piece orchestra. I was singing in a girl band. Like I was writing singer songwriter stuff. And I actually didn't even want to do what I thought was, I mean, it wasn't worship music, but I didn't want to do Christian music. I was like, I'll give my 10% at church, but you know, I I have my other, (laughs) I have my other thing that I'm trying to do and actually had a pretty ugly um, heart about it at times. But um, when Michael and I got married, um, we had just moved to Los Angeles. We were doing the acting thing, the music thing, um, and we were going for it and it was kind of starting to take off and, um, we ended up and it's kind of a longer story, but like we, we laid everything down and we ended up in the middle East and I had a moment yeah. and which is just a crazy story within itself, but we were in the middle East and I, you know, I felt like Michael had a ton of favor. He was going to be staying there, like possibly staying there. We were trying to figure out what was next. And, um, he was going to be possibly teaching English in the West Bank. And what that meant for me was like, well, what have I been like doing this music and acting thing for the last 10 years, Lord, why would you have me lay all that down? Like I thought I was following. I thought this is what mm-hmm. you wanted me to do. And I don't have any of that now. And so, but I, at the same time I had this moment, I was like, if you're asking me to do it, I'm willing. 
And so I mm-hmm. had that moment with the Lord, cold, freezing in Turkey by myself with a wood, you know, wood burning stove, freezing my tail off. And I uh-huh. remember the Lord saying, would you be willing? And at that moment when I said, okay, God, I don't understand it, but I'm willing to lay it down. I felt mm-hmm. like, I mean, it, was, it wasn't an audible voice, but it almost could have been. And he just said, I've called you to be a worshiper. And at that moment, everything shifted. It was like all of a sudden, the king of kings, who's bigger, who's greater, has asked me now to sing for him. Come so on. I, I feel the Holy Spirit on that. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was one of those things where it was like, I could be singing for five million people and it didn't matter because the king of kings, you know, and I could sing um, in my closet and it doesn't like, and uh, that's bigger than singing in front of the greatest crowds. It yeah. changed everything for me. It changed, like my voice changed my, because I, all of a sudden I was singing from like the deepest place in my spirit. And it was one of those things so where good. I was like, when he called me a worshiper, that's my identity. Like yep. I don't, I will be doing that for eternity. I don't ever have come to, come, I mean, like that's not <laughs> something that nobody can take it away from me because nobody else gave it to me. Like mm. the Lord called me a worshiper. And so on that journey, and it's been a journey ever since then, that's been almost the last 14 years. Like it's just been my heart and passion. Like, Lord, what does it look like to worship you? Like, how can I, what does that look like to bring people to, to see them, who, how amazing you are and to realize that we are all called to it even if we're not called to it on a microphone or on a stage. Right. That's good. That's really good. That's amazing. And, and so, you know, you've got this, you know, and uh, I know uh, our audience will, will, I know a lot of them already know you, but there's a, a lot that will just discover you. And so uh, you've got, you know, amazing songs out there. And I, uh, I remember that, you know, you guys did this album. seems like, right, that album came out. I remember I remember we went on a deer hunting trip, Michael. I don't know if you remember this or not, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> How could I forget? We're in the deer blind and you're wearing, like, Ferragamo's. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. <laughs> Hey, they're Italian made. I can't, I can't do it without my Ferragamo. <laughs> but uh, you I had leather boots on. You had leather loafers. All right, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> and uh, freezing our butts off. I know that. And uh, yeah. Brad, Brad McClendon was with us, and that was just too, too funny. But uh, around that time, I remember you and I drove down there together, and you were playing the song, the the, the album. I think it was the first album we did under Upper Room, I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah. And yeah. It, it was just amazing. And uh, I know that was a work of you guys. And the way the money came in for that was was a miracle as well. Oh, it was I totally supernatural. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't remember the whole details, but I remember all of a sudden somebody threw, you know, $20,000 or $30,000 that you guys could get something done. And it, it just seems that God has always put you guys at the right spot at the right time. Although it didn't seem like that, but it all came out like that. Right. Yeah, totally. We, you know, we, we were putting together a, a music video cause we were going to put, put a, uh, um, what, what is the Kickstarter campaign yeah. uh, to raise mm-hmm. money for the album? Cause we're, you know, startup church. We didn't have the money. And right. we make the music video, I'm editing the video, and then all of a sudden it hits me, we're not supposed to do a Kickstarter campaign. And I tell the whole team, the band, and they just look kind of dejected. They're like, we just put all this work into this music video, and we're not going to put it out? You know? Right. Like, right. We're supposed to do it. And I'm telling you, like, the next day I had a buddy call me. He goes, hey, do you have Bill Johnson's phone number? I want to give money personally to him and his church. 
And, and I was like, I think I can get it. And he's like, by the way, what are you doing right now? I was like, man, I'm just finished editing this video and we're, we're looking to, to do an album. He goes, do you need money for the album? And I was like, um, yeah. He goes, do you have a 501c3? He goes, yeah. He goes, well, I'd rather give to you than Bill Johnson. Um, <laughs> Bill not listening to this. Me too. Sorry, so, so, sorry Bill. <laughs> <laughs> you helped fund the Upper Room movement, <laughs> whether you know it or not. That's so awesome. Yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah, it was a really so, cool yeah. moment. It was. And then this thing came out, and it's done really cool. And, you know, and so – it just always seems to be like that. And, and really, you know, a lot of people don't know this. Maybe they do, but I, you know, you guys are like the unsung heroes for the upper room music movement. You really are. You, you two came in there and pioneered everything. You brought the talent in Alyssa Smith. You brought all the, these amazing songwriters and, and talent. And you guys, you guys personally honed this thing down. And, and I know it wasn't easy. I mean, because, you know, I imagine it is at all, you know, charismania places that everybody thinks they can sing and songwrite. I mean, they just do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the only one that knew that he didn't was Stacy and I. We knew, you know, uh, so we never applied. <laughs> uh, but, but a lot of the millennials really, you know, they feel called and they want to love Jesus and they want to worship. And I get that. So you guys had to, you guys had to painstakingly go through, I don't know, hundreds of, of auditions to find this startup, that, to find this group. I mean, what was that process like for you? Because I know that there were some yeah. really hard, hard decisions to be made. Yeah, you know, one of the things I think, well, first of all, you know, just thanking Michael and Larissa that gave us the freedom. They said, here, you have a blank canvas with the, with the music. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. They gave us the freedom just to go, and we just have such a passion for worship. And in the beginning, there wasn't a lot of people with no. really talent. It was just like us and a handful of people, and we're like, this is what God's created us for. This, would ha- this is what happens in the spiritual realm when you worship, and you're super valuable, even you drummer and even you piano player that doesn't get any recognition. We just loved the heck out of these people and believed in them. And a lot mm. of people that we got were the rejects from CF&I. They weren't good enough to make it on stage. Alyssa Smith, Fight My Battles. <sighs> She was not considered good enough to make it on stage at CFNI. Joel Figueroa, he wasn't good yeah. enough. Like, so we took them in. We just believed in people. And it's amazing the power of belief. It's like David's yeah. mighty men. He took in all the rejects and made yep. them. They became the mighty men. And yeah. so we just, we just had that same kind of mentality with people. We just believe in people. And me, I love, I'm so passionate about worship, but I can't sing or play an instrument. So if you've got an <laughs> inkling that you can do it, I'm putting you in there. I'm putting you in the game. Yeah. And I'm going to fire you up because right. I'm going to make you do what I can't do. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So good. Well, it was true. Like nobody really wrote. I mean, a few people had written a couple songs or whatever, but I was like, it was interesting because I was like, what would happen if we all started writing what the Lord was doing in us? What if instead of waiting for the next song that's coming out of the big churches out of there, what if we started writing about what was going on in our church? like awesome. what the Lord is doing here. And so funny enough, like I just started to create these like workshops that I called writing intensives um, for the upper room early on. And I was like, I just asked myself a question. I was like, it was like, what would I want to put myself through over and over to make myself a better writer? And I know, um, and a, and a better worship leader. And it was one of those things where I, I know that I'm not self-disciplined on my own, but I know that if I put a group together, I'm externally motivated. So I know mm-hmm. that if I'll do it together, then we're going to like, then I know we'll push each other further than what we would do on our own. 
So <laughs> I literally, the first time, like, and nobody had really written, and I didn't know if anybody would want to come or show up, but I was like, what if we commit <laughs> to once a week for a month? What if we write a song a week? And we share it together and we just share our process and we read a book together and we just like go after the Lord and songwriting and then we'll do a showcase and we'll show the songs. And it was like, and people came alive. It was like, mm. we got to write together and we got to celebrate each other instead of com compete against each other. It was like all of a sudden yeah. you getting to watch someone write a song and share it and be vulnerable and nervous. Like maybe this isn't good enough and everybody celebrate that you did it like awoke the, I mean, Awoke writers, awoke worship. It created such celebration and unity within our worship team. So those started those like songwriter times, like really formed us as a um, as writers and as worship leaders and as a team. And so they were cool. really powerful times. And you guys became like family. I know you guys are really, really close. And, you know, and I mean, there's still people over there today that were in the original group of that, you know, uh, yeah. at Upper Room. And it's just really cool how it's all grown. And, and, and look, and I know it wasn't all easy. I remember, you know, when I came on yeah. the scene, you know, we, we had some painful times. We had some difficult, you know, ground to plow, you know. It was, you know, it was hard yeah. for Freeland. It was hard for you. It was hard for me. It was, it was because it was new territory. It was things that we weren't used to doing. And then I know that, you know, Bethel was doing it their way and which was great. And then, you know, uh, Hillsong was doing it their way. And, and I, I think you guys had a heart to do it a different way. And I, and I really remember that. And I remember the, the one thing I too remember also Meredith is how you fought for your people and how yeah. you really st stood for your people in a, in a true, true Christian way, you know, and uh, you believed in them and, you know, and it's not that you, you know, you, you were also pushing them too. You always wanted that more from them that they could get because sometimes they didn't see how good they really were and you yeah. led that well. And so I, I admire the way your leadership stepped into that. Thank you. Well, it wasn't, you know, like, like you said, it wasn't always easy and we did have to have hard conversations and there was a lot of you know, trying to figure out. I think a lot of times people see the songs that we're doing and the, and you know, the worship and the YouTube moments and stuff. And they're like, wow, they just like hit the scene. And it was like, but they don't realize that it was seven <laughs> yeah. years of yeah. like growing together and doing that when nobody saw and yeah. you know, having the hard conversations and, you know, talking when we were, um, you know, didn't understand something and, you know, learning how to communicate well. I mean, that was a yeah. big part of it and loving each other through the hard stuff. And, um, and so what a lot of times people are seeing on stage is not a, um, was not an overnight thing. Like you, you say that a lot. It's not an overnight success. It looks like an overnight success to, it does, to people but, on yeah. the outside. But to yeah. us, we knew it was seven years of going after, going after the Lord together when yep. nobody was watching. You know. Yeah, I re yeah, I remember too when when the prayer rooms just started over there at Upper Room. I remember people would have certain prayer sets and they would be up there strumming on their guitar and singing. Nobody in the room. Yeah. Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> Except yeah. Jesus, you know. Yeah. And you know, I mean, it's like it's kind of like I remember, you know, Huey Lewis in the news. I remember, you know, back in the you know eighties and nineties, they were a big deal, and I remember. He, you know, people would say, man, he was just an overnight success. He said, yeah, overnight, 30 years in playing in the, you know, clubs, you know, uh, with, <laughs> with, with, you know, with, with 12 people there, you know, throwing beer and, and rotten tomatoes at you, you know. Exactly. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, you, you all were really, 
it just it's really awesome the way you guys done it. So all right, so I know there's tons more about that, but I want to fast forward. Uh, you guys, you know, leave up room, you move out to Georgia, and so then and now you've got this amazing songwriter lab. I know you, Michael. I know you had a, uh, a stint there. You produced a TV show, I believe. You starred in it, and I uh, started doing some of that that work as well. So tell me, kind of, how you guys got to Atlanta or Georgia? I keep saying Atlanta, but Georgia. You guys are almost in Florida. Uh, and so, uh, you got there and then how did all this, you know, this, this songwriters lab come about and what's going on? Yeah. Well, we, we had a, it was just a season where we really pulled away from the, uh, with the Lord and, and just began to ask him, what's he calling us to in this season? And, and I felt like it was really media related and to transform culture through the arts. So they began to look at, uh, just where our culture is as a whole. And, and I'll just give you an example. This from a statistic I just saw from the J. Walter Thompson group, innovative group, did this study, and only 48% of Generation Z, the largest population group in America right now, only 48% of them identify as strictly heterosexual. Wow. So that's freaky, but it tells you the power of media to transform a culture because they'll attribute it to social media and YouTube and everything else. And, and so, man, we as the church have to be getting in front of the next generation with regard to media and film and music and whatever else. And so I just felt a calling to that. Meredith also had some dreams and prophetic words that she was supposed to lay down Upper Room Music, which was the baby that she built. One of the right. hardest decisions by far that we've ever had to make as a couple to leave our family, leave something that we've built. And right as it was exploding onto the scene, I mean, it's, it's like you ever wanted a platform? wrong time to leave right but <laughs> i know but our, but our life is more about we want to follow jesus more than we want a platform and so we just felt him calling us this direction and we met some people that were filmmakers and producers of some of the biggest reality shows on the planet that were moving to georgia to create god's content out here and so it led us to this rural this little small town in georgia more films are being made in georgia right now than anywhere in the world um, 30% tax incentive in Atlanta, 35% in rural Georgia, which is where we are. And, and so we came out here to build a company with worship at the center of it. And, and this is Thomas, Thomasville. Yes. Thomasville, Georgia. Yeah. We, yeah. one of the shows that we created was called love thy neighborhood. And we just had a lot of issues because of the, the religious nature of the show. A lot of the big networks just felt like just, we're dealing with a politically correct spirit, which was really challenging. Right. Um, right. And, and so also our, our company, the vision of the company, they really want to be uh, covert with a lot of the content that, that's being created because we were getting this backlash from the, the forward nature of what we were doing. And that's mm-hmm. challenging for Meredith and I because we're very, you know, faith forward and outwardly expressive with who we are, especially with creating a worship movement. And it's just, that's just what we live and breathe. And so we, we've still continued to do that part of it. And Meredith has, always been a songwriter, so she's birthed Songwriters Lab in the season, which is just exploding um, with cities across the nation. So, Meredith, I'll let you talk about that. Yeah, I mean, um, laying down Upper Room was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um, and, you know, loving being with um, our group and riding with them as a family, and it's been interesting. I, I stepped out here and was like, what if I took the Thomasville worship leaders around here and just opened it up? to the churches and said, Hey, uh, why don't, why don't we all get together and start to write? And, you know, they didn't know me really from Adam, but I was like, what, what would this happen? Um, and, um, and so I, I stepped out kind of in faith, hoping people would want to come. And um, again, like seeing the fruit again, like just seeing God show up, 
seeing a so similar cool. thing happen, what happened at the upper room, but these are with different churches, not just like mm-hmm. one, upper, you know, one church. And so seeing the fruit of like seven different churches who don't hang out together, start to write together, worship together, sing together. And then seeing, seeing the songs that come from that place has just like, um, just been incredible. So, um, I, I did another one just to see again, to test it out, opened it up to, um, to people who would be, you know, just want to come. It was honestly a step of faith again for me, you know, like going, I'm used to being underneath, you know, up a room or um, another company that like it feels safe. And I was like, I'm just going to try this and see what happens. And I was shocked at the response of people mm. hungry to have their sure. church and their songs right. But most people are scared. Most people are like, I've only written pieces of songs. And so in their mind, they're like, so I'm not really a writer. And um, so I just get to create a safe place for people to co-write. I push them by the end of it. By by the end of the two and a half days, they've already written two songs, two and a half songs. And um, just to watch people come alive in that process has uh, has been mind-blowing. Yeah, it's been a real also backdoor to create unity in the church. We get all these different denominations together, writing songs together. And, uh, you know, I've, in my time as a Christian, the two places I've seen unity come together is one around worship because it's what's taking place around the throne. And then two is in the place of persecution, you know? So I was like, well, let's yeah. be wise and let's do the worship place. And so we have to get the wait for the persecution to come. And you know, awesome. I think one of the things we have a real passion for is getting the church creating again on all levels. Yeah. So I love what you're doing with, with business and, and doing podcasts and media. We need the message of what God's doing out there. Cause yeah. I, I saw this so vision good. of all these, church steeples, uh, you know, across the nation. And I saw them kind of morph into the closed bud of a flower. And I felt like they mm. were staying closed on purpose because they were more afraid of the culture. Uh, and so they became insular and they became known more for what they're against and protective and, and fear-based. But I saw a shift beginning to take place where the churches begin to express outwardly what God has placed within them. And those churches began to, those steeples began to open up and bloom as flowers. And I was thinking, mm. what would happen if all these churches around America, I mean, there's 162 in our town alone, but began to create their own songs, their own films, their own uh, media, whatever content, and express the beauty of who God has created us to be. How would that transform good. our culture? It's yeah. so needed in this hour. So good. Two things I want to say here, and I, and, and I want to wrap this up, but I want you to know, Michael, that, you know, you had a profound effect on me and so many other people at Upper Room. One of the things that you taught me from the get-go was, uh, was if you start feeling your heartbeat, if you start feeling things happening, you start getting flop sweats, that's probably, that's probably the Holy Spirit pushing you out, you know, getting out of yeah. your comfort zone. And you taught me that early on, and, I, and I'll never forget that. And, and it's so awesome. And the other thing you taught me, too, was about, you know, welcome the persecutions. You know, and I remember you had to, you were telling me that story that, you know, you, you guys were going to go to Israel or Palestine and, and somebody said, you know, you, some, your dad or somebody, you know, was really sent somebody, I don't know if it was your dad, but somebody was saying some bad my things dad. or your dad. And you were like, you run around, you got off the phone and said, my first persecution, thank you, Jesus. And I just, I'll never forget that. I thought that was awesome. And, yeah. you know, because, and, and I think, you, you know, between that and then, Meredith, the way you always showed up in 100% authenticity, you know, uh, I'll never forget when Stacy was telling me stories that you guys would all meet, and you would t- t- be talking about, you know, you guys, you know, because I think you were like probably, I don't know, 13 months pregnant at the time, and you had other kids running around, and you, you know, it was like 
all game all on and you know and you were just very real and Stacy remembers how real and authentic you were and about where you were at right then which wasn't a happy place you know and some of us go there right and some and yeah. but it was just it was really refreshing because of your transparency and your authenticity and seeing how Jesus was working with you you know and you know the other thing too I, and and we have a mutual friend you know Freeland Michael Miller he taught me so much there of how to be Jesus to people that you would rather just run over on the street if you could, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> because I have, for, for whatever reason, they seem to pop up in my life every now and then. But I remember, though, when I was working with him and how some people were in the church are just so hypercritical and so offensive and, and you know, the, you know, whatever, and how he loved them anyway you know, uh, which I thought was really amazing. So, you know, those are some of the things I wanted to share with our audience. So I want you to, because uh, you guys are truly, you know, you guys, you know, you, you, you talk to talk, but you more importantly, you walk to walk. And I want you to share, I know you got this songwriter lab going, and it seems incredible. You got one coming up, I guess, in, uh, was it Nashville Houston. or you got Houston, Houston, Houston. yeah, in April. Yeah. So come on, here's a plug. Let's do this. Talk about this. How do people apply? Who should apply, if anybody, you know, uh, please. Yeah, if you're on a worship team, you are a worship leader, especially, like that wants to, like, get their team to write, um, start writing songs from their church, start to sing those kinds of songs, then, yeah, think about, pray about joining us in Houston. It's April 2nd through the 4th, so it's a two-and-a-half-day event, um, and we're going to be co-writing together. We worship together. Michael and I will teach, we'll teach practical tools on songwriting, we'll demystify it and make it a safe place <laughs> for you guys to, I mean, to write and to, to go after the Lord and find the song, your heart song, because that's what opens the Lord's heart, because it moves him, because it moves you. And so um, that's, again, April 2nd through the 4th, and um, you can find it and apply. I, I keep them small, so there are only 20 people. I only allow 20 people to come. Um, so that we can really get in there together and write together and share together. Um, so applications are going to be um, on the website, and it is um, songwriters, with an S, songwriterslab.com, and you can apply there for the Houston, for the Houston Songwriter Lab. That's awesome. That's so cool. And then uh, give all your other social media handles out there so people can follow you guys because you guys are amazing. If I don't care if you're a songwriter, if you're a musician or actor or not. These two are, they're a super couple. They really are. They're a power couple in God's kingdom. And so you should follow them. So how do we follow you on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, you know, TikTok, doodad, whatever. <laughs> TikTok, whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> and my Instagram is just Meredith Malden. Um, and then uh, my Facebook is Michael Malden, but my Instagram is S Michael Malden. So it looks like Smichael, but my first name is Steven. So it's S Michael Malden. Because <laughs> there's another Michael Malden out there that's Jermaine Dupree's dad, and he's a black music producer, and that's not me. <laughs> I saw uh, that online. I saw that online. Yeah, some people. Some, some people, people actually, like, I don't know who does Wikipedia or IMDb on all our credits, but I think I was married <laughs> to that guy for a while. <laughs> awesome. So, Michael, I, I've noticed on some of your Instagram, which, bro, you're killing it on your social media, man. I just really, it looks really cool. How, you Thank know, you, what, 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 what do you got going on on that, man? I mean, you know, I, you know what's going on? Your, your messages are great. And uh, are, are these just uh, unctions that the Holy Spirit is laying on your heart? What's happening with you? Yeah, man, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm just 
got this saying in me just to put out uh, like, you know, one to three minute videos of just inspiration, motivation, just ways to look at uh, God in, in a new way and to provoke thought and to uh, just inspire connection with God. And man, I'm getting just a lot of cool, you know, traction with it just from people's just touching people's lives. So yeah, check, check it out. If you get a chance, um, I think you, you guys might enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's really done well. And of course you're a natural on, on the camera and it's just, I just love the message in your heart. It just really, it, it just resonates, man. So, so you, Meredith and Michael it. Malden, man, th these guys are amazing. Follow them. Songwriterslab.com. Is that right? Yep. And songwriters lab is on Instagram as well. Okay, cool. And uh, apply. Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe Stacey and I will show up in Houston at least for a snack and listen to some music, you know, it'd be kind of cool. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we, we, we would love to see you guys again. We definitely want to get out to Thomasville and hang out. So thank you guys for spending uh, this day. Thank you for sharing with us. And uh, any last word you want to share with the audience? McIntyre is awesome. <laughs> yes. We're thankful for you. Oh, Do the next on. level. Next with the level. We've done it. It's awesome. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're so sweet. Thank you for that for that uh, shameless plug. I'll take it. I'll receive it. We're all about next level. Hey, Father, <laughs> thank you, God, for this. Thank you, God, for this couple. Thank you, God, for Michael, Meredith, Malden, and their beautiful family and their, their songwriting and they're just worshiping you, God. We just thank you. Bless them. Continue to bless them supernaturally, financially, talent-wise, and their creativity, God. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Love you, man. All right, love you too. Thanks, guys. Have a great week. You too. Bye. Hey, friends, please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and share our podcast on Apple, Spotify, and all other platforms where great podcasts are found. Thank you. Thank you for checking out the Next Level Podcast. For more information or additional resources, please visit themichaelmcintyre.com. Michael